Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today on a conversation with I'm your host, Floyd Marshall. And today I am joined by the founder of the October Film Festival and the Stewart Cinema Cafe in New York City, Miss Emmeline Stewart. And I must tell you, ladies and gentlemen, she did not start out in the film business as most of us do. We That's where we start. But her journey is a little bit different. So, Emmeline, welcome to A Conversation With. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you. Welcome to A Conversation With, where we sit down with some amazing people in the film, media, and entrepreneurial space. We're going to talk about what makes them successful, and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business, but more importantly, to maximize your life. So sit back and enjoy A Conversation With, and I'm your host, Floyd Marshall Jr. Yeah, you know what? It's it's good to be seen. It's been a while. I had yeah. every every time I say I'm coming to your film festival, something always pops up. Something always happens. And last year, everything <laughs> happened. <laughs> wow. You know, uh yeah. You know, I still had an in-person festival last year. I saw. How did you how did you manage that? So uh, the theater became Cinema Safe certified. Okay. Uh, so we were using it for memorial services and all kinds of stuff. And uh, so I said, listen, if we can socially distance people and, you know, do all that stuff. So we, it was small, but we were still able to do it. And people in the community came out, people wore their masks. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that a little bit later because I do want to talk about that. There's there's so much that I want to talk with you about uh, regarding your theater. But tell everyone how you started out because, as I said, your journey to this point was slightly different than the road that everyone else takes. So, so how did you become such a mogul in the film and entertainment industry? So, you know, it's been a long journey. <laughs> so let me start with that. But I'm, you know, Wall Street businesswoman, real estate, and someone gave me a script to read and I thought it was funny. And I didn't know anything about the business. I had some friends at network, but I didn't really know the industry. And um, I called him up and I said, this is really funny. I would love to help you. I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that here was a young guy who had a dream. And I thought he had some talent, but no one would give him an opportunity. He couldn't find the resources. So I said, what do you need? And he was like, I need everything. And I had no idea, Floyd, what everything meant. So I became the producer of the project and spent a ton of money uh, because I didn't know what I was doing to uh, produce this film. But the film went on to win a whole bunch of awards. And then I thought, wow, so I could do this for a lot of people as soon as I could figure out how to make money doing it. 
And that was really the start. It's just I wanted to help someone who had a dream and had just, he wanted to direct forever. He was a writer um, and he just couldn't figure out how to do it. He couldn't find the resources. And just, I was like, hey, I'll help you. And I did. So, I mean, how did you meet this young man? Were you got, were you just out and about and just happened to strike up a conversation or were you at a mixer? Yeah. How, did, so, how did that happen? So his uncle uh, was a real estate investor and okay. he was my client. And through that process, I met him and his uncle said, you know, my nephew wants to make movies and I don't trust him <laughs> to give him my money because mm. I don't know anything about that. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe you could talk to him, okay. he said, and, and, you know, because you're, you're more into the entertainment world and stuff and you know more about movies. And I said, okay, I'll talk to him. Mm. And then I, I carried the script around for like two or three months in my bag. And then oh. I happened to be sitting at Starbucks. I had some, some time to kill and started reading it. And I was like, wow, this is really funny. I think this is good. Hmm. And that's, that's how it happened. So it was just, you know, his uncle. And, and also the fact that his uncle said, you know, I don't trust him. I don't believe in him. I don't know. Hmm. You know, I don't want to lose my money. This kind of gave me sort of the incentive to say, you know what? Well, I'll help him. Right. And interestingly and enough. And I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know what? And, and that's phenomenal. But it's interesting yeah. because so often... This is the only business where it's always show and tell. It's always show and tell, but you 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 really can't show if no one is willing to help you. Now people are willing to invest in so many other different things with people that are brand new. But for some reason when it comes to film, there's this this hesitancy to want to take a chance on someone and you, you have so many talented filmmakers out there that never get an opportunity because they just can't find the money. But more importantly, they're not educating themselves on how to make something maybe a little less adventurous on a lower budget with a small yeah. crew with one location yeah. and, and kind of and kind and kind of build up. So what was the name of the film? Wings and Beer. Okay. Wow. Wings and beer. And so, you know, to your point, I will say this, you don't need an opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's sitting around waiting for this opportunity, right? You need to create with whatever you have, oh. you just go ahead and create something. Because it used again? to be that short film, <laughs> it used to be that short films were calling cards. Now short films can be monetized and there are a lot more than that. Now short films are in the Oscars. So it, it, it is so much more and it doesn't have to be a 45 minute short, right? It could be a five minute short. It's about the concept mm -hmm. of being able to, to deliver a message, you know, for it to be compelling, to look good, to sound good. And now with, you know, iPhones, we have some films this year at the film festival that were shot strictly on an iPhone. And you can't tell the difference. So that's going to be one of the questions when I have the festival this year is, can you tell which of these films was shot on an iPhone. And and I, I guess most people are not going to be able to tell the difference. But you know what? That is so true because I just traded in my 11 Pro Max for a 12 Pro Max. And I also got my daughter a 12 Pro Max. That's the last phone I'm buying her. That's the one with the three cameras, right? Yes. And the wide, wide and lens. It is, it is 
when when we turned them on and you know the first thing we did because she's into content creation as well when we turned the cameras on our mouths dropped mm-hmm. because the picture quality is unbelievable and actually one of my uh friends Tracy Twinkiebird casting director she just shot a 1 minute film on her iPhone and it's winning all it's winning awards everywhere it's a one it's 1 minute and 46 seconds and it's winning awards everywhere so if if you can find a good crew that knows what they're doing you get you some lenses you know you get you a good sound no a great sound designer ladies and gentlemen please and some and good sound mix. <laughs> oh uh, it, that you know it, people always say I, I need to use this red i need to use no you use the camera that works but it's the mm-hmm. things that surround that camera because you get you some good glass but the things that surround that camera that are really really going to make or break your film you know get you a good dp yeah. a good sound mixer I cannot, you know what? I'm going to let you talk about that because you You had the October Film Festival. So let's talk about, for a brief moment, let's talk about sound in films. Let me tell you. So one of the studies that they've done is that when people cannot hear well, then they cannot see well. Because when you cannot hear, for some reason, instinctively, you start squinting and you do this. So even if your picture is beautiful, if someone is in a theater and they cannot hear properly, then they're going to start squinting. It's just an, a human instinct. Mm. And so then they're not going to be able to enjoy the picture. So at that point, your picture is not going to matter. Right. So sound, sound is very important. We have this issue a lot because we have a lot of private screenings at the theater. And a lot of filmmakers never really get to see or test their film with around sound and five channel and 4k projection or a dcp projector Mm. and it's a completely different situation and i think you know we think about well why didn't my film get into this festival because on your computer it may look and sound wonderful yes but when you're talking about putting it in a movie theater uh where people have to pay to come watch it it's a whole different thing um, and so we're actually trying to come up with some kind of situation where filmmakers can actually come to the theater to test their film. Okay. Um, you know, sort of as a testing ground before they start to submit to film festivals so that they can really understand what the film festivals are seeing. Because a lot of film festivals now are testing those films in theaters. Hmm. They are renting the space to really understand what can sell and what can't. That's very interesting. And, and you know what? That That's such a good point because, you know, we we have our film festival here. And hmm, that is one of the things that really dismays me the most is when you get something that looks really good and then you press play. And you hear anytime you hear what you're not supposed to hear, there's an issue, there's a problem. When you're hearing wind noise or that crackling or that white noise and you're sitting there saying, now if I heard, and and this is what kind of takes me aback. If I can hear it, I know you heard it. (laughs) If if I can hear it, I know you've heard it. Now with with us being film festival curators, (laughs) 
our ear may be a little different because yeah. we're looking out for that type of thing. But again, yeah. if it's very obvious, I've gotten films, Emmeline, where it was so blatantly obvious. And I'm saying to myself now, you just gave me your money. Thank you for the donation, because that's exactly what you just did. You just donated because and, and I and I would write them and I would say, you know, next time this is what this is what you need to do. As far as a, a sound designer in the mixer is concerned, it is so important. I tell filmmakers yeah. all the time, you have to invest in your sound. Yeah. You have to invest yeah. in your sound. But back to Stewart Cinema Cafe. Mm -hmm. So you, you invested in films. You also invested in a web series, 12 Steps to Recovery. Yes, yes. That was my, my first series. Um, I learned so much on that project. We did 22 episodes. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a big investment. Sony Clomax, um, wrote and directed most of that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a learning experience, especially with pitching. Like I didn't really understand. I had friends in the industry that I was talking to, but it was, it's one thing when you're talking to your friend at NBC over a drink versus when you're sitting in a room trying to pitch something. Um, to somebody who doesn't know you, and it's strictly about, you know, is this content going to make us money? Are people going to watch it? Uh, so that was definitely a learning experience. I think up until today, I've probably produced about 19 projects. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm really on the business side of things. I say it all the time. I'm a businesswoman who loves the art. And, and that really is my focus. It's, it's how do we, because it's a business. Everyone who makes a film, you are in business. That film is your product. You are creating something. And you have to sell it in order to make money. And whether that means that you put it on YouTube or you send it to a festival, whatever it is, the point is to get people to see it, to grow your audience. But why are you growing your audience? Because you want to make more films. And in order to make more films, at some point, you're going to need money. At some point. So, so the moment that you start to need money, it's a business. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Emmeline Stewart is my friend. <laughs> this is why Emmeline is my friend. I wish you folks could have seen the expressions that just played over my face as she just broke it down so eloquently. And this is something that I talk about at nauseum. The fact that, and I tell filmmakers this all the time, you're not a filmmaker, you're in the business of making films. And they're like, what? Right. You are in the business of making film because mm -hmm. your film is your product which you are getting ready to take out to a consumer because you want someone to purchase that film or you want someone to purchase a ticket to see your film. So I, I tell them what you need to do is you need to have a mindset shift because you're thinking like a creative and there's nothing wrong with that because you have to be a creative. But what you right. also have to do is you have to understand that this is a business and it is predicated on money. And as you said, if you want to make a second or a third film, you better treat it like a business. 
I tell filmmakers that all the time. Well, man, you know, I'm an artist. Okay, you you keep it up with that. Erica Badu can say, yeah. I'm an artist. You know, I'm sensitive about this shit because she's made it. <laughs> but you, on the other hand, need to treat this as a business. And I told, okay, mm -hmm. how many how many streams of income do you plan on generating off of that film? And, and they'll look at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? Okay. You, you have the film, you, you plan on showing mm -hmm. it, you plan on going to film festivals, what next? T-shirts, mugs, uh, part, anything, you know, a wine date, anything, depending on the theme of your film. What are you going to do with that? How do you plan on maximizing that film's potential as a business person? How do you plan on doing that? So can you speak, yeah. can you speak to that? Can you go a little you bit know, more that, in depth with that? That is why they can't find money because they cannot explain how they're going to make money from the film. So if you come to me and you want me to give you or invest $20,000, you have to explain to me and be able to show me without a doubt how I'm going to get 20 plus interest, right? And if you don't know how you're going to monetize your film, then I can't give you money because then you don't know how you're going to get my money back. And this idea about, well, I'm going to put it on Amazon Prime, I'm going to put it on YouTube. How many, I'm going to ask you, how many views do you have to get for me to get my $20,000 back? How many views? And if you can't answer that, then I can't give you money because you have to understand how every penny is going to be made. And this is why a lot of filmmakers are not able to find money and to get people to invest because they're not able to articulate how people are going to get their money back. And that's a big, big, big issue. And, and, you know, we talk about it and we, it, it, I think some of it is people say, well, I don't have access, but you don't need access. People think they need access, right? What you need is to do your homework. What you need is to understand you need to talk to other filmmakers who have made money and figure out how they did it. And you need to call these places and find out. If you want to do a theatrical run, how much does that cost? How many cities are you going to be in? How many tickets are you going to sell? And, who, and, and the other thing is, how much debt is this film carrying? How many people have to be paid before I can get my money? Do you owe the writer? Do you owe the director? Did you promise people points? And you have to be able to show me the math on paper, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you're just talking, right? And when it comes to money, you can't just talk. And if you're talking, you should be talking numbers. And so when filmmakers approach people about money, they're talking about dreams. They're talking about vision, but they're not talking about numbers. You got to be able to talk about numbers. So true. And something, a, a good friend of mine, Angela White, she runs Silver Lining Entertainment. And she talks about how, and, and I know this is near and dear to you because I was listening to an, another interview that you did regarding distribution. And she talked about the fact that before you yell roll camera, you should have that in place. You should have that in place. You should know where your film is going before you make it. Because if you're worrying about where your film is going after it's in the can, there is a, there's a problem. 
because now you're mm -hmm. behind the eight ball because all of that should have been taken care of. So when someone's coming to you and saying, okay, Mr. Stewart, I, I want to borrow this amount of money and you ask all those questions and okay, what markets do you plan on putting this film in? What distribution, Who's your audience? Yeah, yeah. Where, where, what's your distribution plan? <laughs> do you have a distributor in place? Have you been to any film markets? Do you, do, have you looked at comps, comparable films? Have you done all of that? And th their eyes get glassy. So mm -hmm. if your eyes are getting glassy, then you need to go back and do your research and do your due diligence because here's what's <laughs> going to happen. You are going to get taken to the cleaners mm -hmm. because now the film's in the can. And if you did borrow some money from somebody, family, friends, whatever, and you're talking about, I'm going to pay you back. Now you're up against it. And then here comes this yeah. disreputable mm -hmm. distributor telling you, okay, I can do this for you and I can do that for you. And they're about to rake you over the coals. Get a lawyer. That's my other thing. You have to have a lawyer that you can call. Doesn't have to be the best lawyer, but you got to have legal representation. Because if you don't, there's a good chance you're going to get ripped off. Also, lawsuits, right? I've been sued, I don't know how many times, all kinds of issues. <laughs> so you have a good lawyer. You, you, <laughs> I sure do. I sure do. But, you know, you, you got to, you got to, you have to have a team. You have to have a business team. The same way you have a crew to make your film, you also need a team of people on the business side of stuff. So, you know, even if it's not you, maybe you have a producer who handles the business aspect. You know, um, you have to have a budget. When people tell me, I said, well, how much is it going to cost to do the film? And they're like, oh, I think it's going to be about, you know, $50,000. You think it's going to be around <laughs> like where did you get that number mm -hmm. is that based on the actors is that based on what what is it a sag minimum like what what they don't know they're thinking well you know they're thinking what it's going to cost for the camera what it's going to cost for sound and there's all of these other things that they're not thinking about which is why they go over budget which is why doing a budget even if you just use the software and plug in the numbers mm -hmm. it's important and again, the conversation about numbers. And, and, and interestingly enough, it always gets back to that, which mm -hmm. is back to the fact that it's business. Unless yeah. you're just making a film that you're going to show your friends. And you know what? That's perfectly fine. But sure. if, if. But this, isn't that what TikTok is for? <laughs> I, do you hear? You know what I'm saying? You can do it for free. And Instagram? I, I mean. <laughs> I do reels every day on Instagram and they, and it's for all I got to do is just hold my phone up and, and that's all I need to yeah. do. So if, yeah. if, if you're looking, okay. If this is something that you want to turn into a career, education is so critical. And you said something interesting. You said that a lot of filmmakers, and I hear this a lot as well. I don't have access, but you do. It's called Google. There, there are so many resources that you could you could get for free. There are so many people that you can tap that are willing to help you, but yeah. you have to be willing to put in work. And see, that's where you run into a problem with some of these filmmakers. They're lazy, and they don't want to work. They just want it handed to them. Oh, I just want I just want the the fluff. But you're not willing to put in the time and effort that it would take to find out everything that you just mentioned. 
not understanding yeah. that if they do that, they'll be so much better off because so many times, and, and you said something interesting in an interview about the fact that when some filmmakers have their films distributed, they're thinking they're going to make so much money. You know, minimum guarantees are gone. They're basically non-existent, but they think they're going to make all this money because my film's on this platform and my film's on that platform, not understanding the hidden costs, the fees, the fact that distributors want to take off for advertising. They're going to take off for that poster that they made. They're going to take off for that artwork. They're going to take off for all of that. So could you speak to that briefly? For sure. Um, but I will say, I disagree with you that filmmakers are lazy because really? it takes, yeah, because it takes a lot of work to make a film, even a short film. It's a lot of work. I think they're intimidated. Hmm. Because it is because the whole business aspect of it is foreign and it seems overwhelming. Ah, and I they, will agree they, with you. And they say it's, you know, it's overwhelming. They don't understand the lingo. And, you know, that that stuff is, is, you know, things that executive producers handle. So filmmakers just generally think, well, you know, I don't even know where to go. I, you know, I don't have the right lingo to talk to these people because I don't. I, like you, I don't understand why they would put all this work into creating something and then fall short at the end. I will. But I, I think some of you. it is what you said. And I think, I think you're right in that it's preparation. It's don't shoot the film until you know who your audience is, where you want it to go, till you have your comp, right? So you really have a good understanding of why you're making the film. The why is super important. Yes, it's about the story. Yes, it's about your career. But it has to be about other things as well. There's a package that you have to have. So I definitely think that some of it is people like yourself and me and other people, we have to really keep talking to filmmakers about the business. And we have to keep saying it. Um, because it, it is intimidating. Think about it. Yeah. You know, if you don't really know anything about business, it's, it's scary. Yeah. A lot of filmmakers have never been in corporate America, so they don't even understand the structure of how you come into a meeting and how you have to be prepared and how your pitch can't take an hour. You have two minutes because time is money and people are busy. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's preparation. I am sure. going to agree with that. I'm going to rephrase yeah. that from now on, <laughs> but, but you know, but I've run across some lazy ones like, come on, because you know, you, no, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm telling you where to go to get all the information. And then you say, well, did you look? Nah, you know, I'm like, come on. But I, you know what? You're absolutely, you know what, Emily, you're so right. And, and that's a teachable moment for myself because Sometimes you get you get so frustrated because yeah, it's, it's like you're running. I feel it. It's like you're running like the Rams running into each other. I, I, mm. I keep telling you this and I keep telling you this and I keep telling you this. So why are you not getting it? <laughs> maybe it's, you're not understanding the, the, the jargon yeah. and maybe it needs to be yeah. broken down a little bit more. Or like you said, and, and it's like a light bulb went off when you said that the intimidation mm. factor, because you know what? Yeah, that's not my lane. That's right. I can't, I can't create a thing. Mm -hmm. I'm a business person. So I am dependent on the deliverables. So if I write somebody a check to make a film, I am banking on the fact that you're going to be able to deliver a film that's going to make money. 
But I myself, I can't shoot a thing. I don't write. I don't direct. Um, and so that's not my lane. I can read a script and know if I think it's marketable from a business perspective, right? Because that's my language. But in terms of creativity, that's not my thing. So, and I can see, I find that intimidating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, when I'm on set, it's, it's overwhelming for me, right? I just want to make sure everybody's good. I make sure we don't go over budget. And then I want to leave. Right. That's all I care about. If they try to ask me, well, what do you think about this or this scene and that scene? I'm like, I don't know. Because I can't <laughs> even put the whole picture together mm-hmm. in my head. And that's the only reason why I'm sensitive to the fact that it could be overwhelming when it's not your lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a phenomenal point. But let, let's talk about Stewart Cinema Cafe. Mm-hmm. How, did, how, how did that come about? I know how it came about, but tell the audience yeah. how that yeah. came about and what was the reason behind you uh, building Stewart Cinema Cafe? So you know that I own the October Film Festival, and we have been around nine years. This is going to be year nine for us. Yeah, yeah. You know, at at the beginning, thank you. At the beginning, it was like, okay, if we can make it to three years, if we can make it to five, because it's hard, you know. Yes. It is. It is a. It is a labor of love for sure. And so I was having. There was a couple of reasons that led me to build the theater. Number one was that I was having the festival at all these different venues. And the venues were expensive. Like we were paying $16,000 for four days. So all of the sponsorship money was going to the venue for the most part, right? And there wasn't any real money left to spend on the important things like the filmmakers meeting the right people and and networking and that kind of stuff. So that was the, the expense of that was an issue. The other issue was that the places we were having the festival, which were major movie theaters, you know, um, all these different art houses where we were having the festival, the owners of those places did not understand independent filmmakers. Hmm. And there was a lack of respect Hmm. for independent film. And so the last film festival I had outside of Stewart Cinema was at a theater and they shut the lights off on us and we had to carry the step and repeat out in the dark. I gave the woman a credit card and I said to her, charge whatever you need. But what we cannot do is not allow the filmmakers to have a Mm Q&A because to me, that is the most important part of the festival. Well, filmmakers are talking too much. So it was a combination of not understanding and appreciating and respecting independent filmmakers. And then it was also an issue that there was a lot of black people in the space. I was going to ask you that. Okay. So the next day I said to her, look, I don't understand this. I told you, you said if I went over, you would just charge me more. Mm -hmm. But on the night of, your staff turned the lights off in the middle of this thing. And I, Floyd, if you know me, I wanted the earth to open up and swallow me. Wow, 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 (laughs) wow, Because filmmakers are, are, are my heart. And so I left there that year and I said, this will never happen again. Wow. I will not 
be kicked out of any place. Wow. And, I, and the filmmakers will not be treated like shit wow. under my watch. Wow. And so that was, that was motivation number one. The other thing was, oftentimes, venues are very expensive, as you know. Mm-hmm. Filmmakers end up having to screen their films in basements, in, you know, four wall rooms, in just all of these, like, sort of subpar places, at bars, <laughs> right, mm. clubs. We've all had screenings at these places. Because AMC is $3,000 for mm-hmm. one screen, right? Now, at $3,000 for one screening, right, that means that if you have 100 seats, you have to charge $30 a ticket. That's just to break even, and you're still not going to break even because there's additional fees, right? So now, who's going to pay 30 to $40 to watch a movie they've never heard of from an independent filmmaker they've never heard of? So that is not a money-making scenario. So I wanted to create a money-making scenario mm-hmm. for filmmakers when they screen their film. The other issue I had was that I wanted to have a place that I could control, that I could control the narrative. I could decide what the community was going to watch because I had a film that was dear to my heart to turn around. And it was my first faith-based film. I'm thinking this film is about Jesus. Who doesn't want to know about Jesus, right? Like, I'm thinking... <laughs> Everybody should want to know about Jesus, you would think. Right? That's, that's, you know, that's as a business person, I'm thinking, cha-ching, yeah. this that's is a, great. That's yeah. a major market. And it was a great story. Yeah, it was, it was... So I met with a couple of distributors, a couple of people, and I wanted to get theatrical distribution for this film. More than any other film... For a lot of reasons, I really wanted this film to get theatrical distribution. And basically, I was told that there's no audience. It's not Passion of the Christ. It's not a Tyler Perry. They just didn't see that it would make money. They couldn't, even even with marketing dollars behind it, they just didn't see it happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, this one guy gets to decide that there's no audience for my film? This one guy. What does he know? Mm-hmm. He is going to be the deciding factor as to whether we make money, whether people get to see this film. So I said, you know what? I don't want somebody else deciding what movie should be in a theater. I want to decide that. And so all of those factors led to me building Stuart Cinema and Cafe. So now we show motion pictures. So we have regular, we're just showing, we're showing respect right now. If you haven't seen it, seen it, go see it. The Aretha Franklin movie. Um, It's amazing. So we show regular, we were showing Space Jam and all this. So we show regular movies, but the theater, I really built it so independent filmmakers could have screenings. And so we do things like, you know, we show trailers but we can also put in trailers for films that nobody's ever heard of. Mm. And there's something about that where if they see, you know, Space Jam and they see, you know, Suicide Squad and then they see a movie they've never heard of, instinctively they assume that that film is just as good. And so that, those were just 
some of the reasons why I said, you know what, I'm just going to build my own movie theater and then I'll work deals with studios and, and figure out how to put regular movies in here. And yeah, so that's, that's why I did it. And it was the best decision I think I've ever made for myself and for the industry. And it was really difficult. I almost wasn't going to do it because I have found investors for tons of stuff that nobody ever saw, <laughs> right? But for this thing, I couldn't find investors because I was catering to independent filmmakers mm -hmm. and they felt like independent filmmakers have no money. And at the price point that you want to set this up, you're not going to make money. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing. And I was like, okay, so no one will give me money. The bank doesn't think this is a good idea. It was a warehouse, so I had to build the whole thing from scratch. And I thought, okay, so what am I going to do? Am I just going to go home and say, okay, so I can't have a movie theater? So I liquidated all of my assets mm. and built it myself with cash, self-funded, alone, with no partners. Which, when COVID happened, ended up being a blessing. Mm. And for the business in general, for the business model that I had in mind, it has been a blessing because I don't have to ask permission I don't have to consult three people right. <laughs> about what happens in the theater. And so at the moment, it seemed like a really horrible thing. I was like devastated. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, nobody's going to give me money. What am I going to do? And you know, and I'm like, and I'm good for it. And, and the last straw for me, which really confirmed that I needed to move forward with doing this, was I had one investor who had given me money in the past. And we were, we're friends. We're, we're still friends. Mm -hmm. Distant friends and you know I was like I, I want to do this and I came to the table with 50% of the money oh wow so I'm only looking I'm only looking for him to match the money to mm. build the theater and he said you know I would feel better if you talked to John and maybe you took John on as a partner and I'm using John because I don't want to say his name mm -hmm. so but I'm like well why do I need John is John bringing 50% of the money he said no but I just think John understands these things better, better than me with the money. So, you mean John, the John, the white guy? Yes. So you'll give me money if I partner up with this guy. Wow. But this guy has no money. He's just that guy. Wow. And I walked away and I said, I'm going to have to do this by myself. And so I just, I, sold all of my assets. I cashed in some of my bonds and stocks and stuff. And yeah, and I built it without John. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment, and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. And you know what? And, and congratulations to you because I remember when you started on that journey and I remember you talking mm -hmm. about that you were about to do something, but you really couldn't say anything because you were still in negotiations 
And then I yep. remember you posting on Facebook when they were giving you the keys and you taking the pictures. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm sitting there saying, wow, look at this shit right here. I was like, see, that's what's up. And 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 that is such a, 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 a we're we going to curse a little bit, folks. That's such a boss ass move because you didn't allow, and, and, and I say this to filmmakers and people all the time, never allow someone else to dictate your destiny. Never nope. allow someone else to dictate your destiny. And here you No had, one has authority to do that. No don't. one has the authority to do that. No. And they 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 try to to take that authority. Well, you know what? We're not going to show you a movie because it's such it doesn't fit such and such and such and such. You need to go and get John because of such and such and such and such. The banks, nah. Well, we're not going to do this such and such. Mm -hmm. Meet these meet these criteria meet this criteria and these parameters, and then maybe we'll think maybe. about it. But here's the thing, and this is a quote that I love, and I think Ed Milet's going to have to start paying me. Because it's a gentleman that I listen to <laughs> by the name of Ed Milet. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he says that things don't happen to you. They happen for you. And even when things Hallelujah. are bad, <laughs> and it's the truth, because yes. he said, even when things look horrible and the thing yes. that's supposedly happening to you looks so bad and you're sitting there saying, what did I do to, des to deserve this? But then when you get on the other side of that, when you handle your business, that yeah. happened for you. Because let's think about the other scenario. If the banks are giving you money, if you have oh my, job, I would have had to close during COVID because I would have had tremendous debt on the business. There you go. So yeah. as I would, it would have been over. There would be no Stewart Cinema yeah. and Cafe today yeah. because the investors would have came looking for their money and I would have been in tremendous debt. The business has no debt right now, so right. we don't have to worry. We wow. were able to stay open during COVID. You know, we closed, we opened 11 to 4 because I wasn't carrying a bunch of debt and I didn't have a bank breathing down my neck and I didn't have investors looking for their money. So, you know, we were able to ride it out because I had only opened a year before COVID happened. Hmm. So we just, you know, we, we did um, the Skyline Drive-In. And so we did that. We opened it up as a community center so people were able to come in and we set up laptops in the theater so people were able to, you know, do unemployment, do their papers. We uh, had the theater used for memorial services so people could come and, and gather in small groups, uh, you know. And, and so we just used the space for whatever the community needed and we opened it up. We had DVDs on the honor system. People would come and because I wanted to, I wanted the community to stay connected to movie watching so we had dvds and on the honor system they came in they got a dvd they watched it they bought it back uh we gave away food every day at the end of the day and and so we were in a position thank god to be able to stay open and to serve which is my favorite thing to do <laughs> is to serve and and that is one of the reasons why you're so successful because of that right there at the core of it, it's about service to others because yeah. you you were talking about your seniors. <laughs> oh <laughs> that my was so God. funny um, when you were talking so about your people. senior moviegoers. How did the worst? I you I I, I was listening. <laughs> so they had a couple of choice words for you in your movie theater. Oh my God! So they talk through the movie. They sneak in food. 
They come in and out of the theater 10 times. They And they curse me out, you know? But they're watching Avengers. They were watching major movies that they wouldn't otherwise be watching. And that was important because I wanted to capture that audience. Mm -hmm. The other audience that was important to me was the teenagers. That's why I installed the video gaming so that the kids could come in with their controllers, hook up to the system and play video games from anywhere in the theater. That then allowed me to have them sort of capture in a space where I could then feed them the stuff I wanted them to see. Hmm. And so that was important when trying to promote independent films that are geared towards young people, because that's a hard audience to reach. Yes. Because they, you know, they like something today, tomorrow they don't like it anymore. Tomorrow, (laughs) tomorrow, they might not, they may (laughs) like it at one o'clock and then four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm over it. Yeah. What? It was three hours ago you you were in love with it. Yeah. And they have no money, right? They're dependent on their parents to give them money. So they have to make a good case for why they want the money. So it has to be something they really want to do. So, yeah. So how did that work out? So you, you. You had the video games, so that, could they just play all day? Or I'm sure be, uh, with with that yeah. uh, with you having that setup, that you had a mm-hmm. lot of teens actually coming through. So how how did that work out? How did you do that? Was there a waiting so list? How did they had, do it? Yes, yeah, so we had Super Smash Brothers, and we did um, twelve dollars, and they could play for an hour and a half, okay. and they would buy a ticket just like they're going to the movie. Oh, yes, for an hour and a half. Yes, because we also, we, we try to keep our prices affordable so mm-hmm. that people in the community can uh, take advantage. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. So did you, did you get a good turnout doing it that way? Yes. Yes. At the beginning we did. Um, and then it sort of died down a little bit. I'm not sure what, what happened, but yeah. And we got an article written in the New York Times as the best thing for kids to do in Brooklyn. Um, so it was it was good, but also we had a lot of bookings. Orange is the New Black, Use Our Space, Billions, Netflix, Hulu, Spotify. So all of these major companies started using our space, and so it started to limit the amount of time that we had to be able to do other things. And that really has been my struggle: is how do I keep this uh, sort of meeting the vision that I had? but still allow these big studios and companies to use the space. Because uh, we, were, we were at a point where some of the companies were buying us out for a week at a time. And sometimes not even using the space. They just wanted to have it to hold their extras because there's stu- movie studios that shoot in the area, which is why I chose that specific space. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been sort of a struggle to make sure that we can have film festivals in there, that we can have independent films. We had a church that was meeting there Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we yeah, I want it to be a space that people can afford, that people can use, but also that is high quality. Okay. So if, if a filmmaker wanted to show their film there, what is the mm-hmm. process with that? So they would email us and tell, give us some dates and we would let them know. We do it in two-hour increments, so a screening would be two hours. Um, they get to pick the music. They want people to listen while they're waiting. We have food and drinks that people can have inside, so you don't even have to have an after party because we have wine, beer, and all kinds of food. We have empanadas, 
we have the best fried Cajun chicken sandwich you've ever had. Yeah. And the whole food business was a whole other thing because I knew nothing. I've never, you know how some people have worked at McDonald's when they were kids. Mm-hmm. I never did the whole fast food thing. <laughs> so I knew nothing about the food industry. I don't know how we didn't kill everybody the first month because I, I didn't even know what temperature the food well, was wait a minute. Did, whose recipes were you using? So my mom, uh, a lot of the recipes are hers, okay. the empanadas. Um, and then uh, Julian Phillip, who owned, uh, I can't remember now, the, the soundbite, was his restaurant in New York. Mm-hmm. So he went, he went under, and I loved his chicken sandwich. I used to go there to eat it all the time. And so I called him up and I said, can I license your sandwich to sell at my cafe since your restaurant closed? And he said, yes. And so we've been selling that sandwich. It's one of our best sellers ever since then. Yeah. And that was also a way, you know, to help. But also it attracted people that normally would go to his restaurant to come to our cafe because the cafe subsidizes the theater. Oh, wow. That's that's awesome. Now, I knew where you got your recipes from. But see, I just had to ask that because you're my talking mommy, about my Dominican so, mother. So your mom's recipes wasn't going to kill anybody. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it was a whole process. Right. Of how to how to keep the food at the right. Yeah. And so but we've gotten an A every year. That's great. You know how they come through the inspection. Yeah, we get an A every year. So we we've got it now. But but at the beginning, I was like, this is this is crazy. Wow. <laughs> this whole food thing. And in the food is a lot of work. Yes. Like just getting the the, the, the staffing is yeah. That that part has been extremely challenging. <laughs> so what made you decide to go with that type of fare as opposed to the normal uh, Skittles and M&Ms and popcorn because it, it, it well it doesn't sound your setup as far as the food is concerned you're selling comfort food so when someone is sitting oh, yeah. there watching a movie they're eating a phenomenal chicken sandwich with some empanadas I mean because I, I was sitting there getting mm. hungry I'm like wait a minute now I, I'm gonna yeah have to we have a to spicy Latin burger yeah so come on now yeah. Now, now, do you so, ever have people falling asleep in the middle of your film because they're so they're so full <laughs> from all that good food that they never even finish the film? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the reason why I decided to have sort of the cafe as a standalone and actually place where people can eat, because one of the things that was in my business plan was that we're the only food place for 10 blocks. Wow. There's nowhere else to eat. So I knew that if I put food that people can pick up for lunch, so we have a big lunch crowd. Mm. Um, So really I did it more for the neighborhood because I knew that that would generate income because if you worked or lived in the area, you'd have to walk on that whole avenue where we are. There are no food places. So you would have to walk up to the next avenue to be able to get food. And so that also led me to, creating a more diverse menu so that, and now we have tamales too. Good stuff. Wow. <laughs> so you know what? And, and and I hope that everyone that is listening right now, and for those of you who will be listening on the, the various um, podcast platforms, I, I really mm-hmm. need you guys to have listened to what Emily has been saying this entire time. 
Because one thing that that I talk about and that she talks about, but that she lives and breathes is the business aspect of this. But the, the thing that I'm about to say, ancillary <laughs> income, ancillary mm. income, learn that term because you have just had a master class on ancillary income, because let's think about it. You're not showing films all day, but you have a lunch crowd right. coming in. That has nothing to yeah. do with film, but that has everything nothing. to do with putting money in your pocket. Video games, again, it has nothing to do with film, but it has everything to do with putting money in your pocket. Multiple income streams, ancillary income, treating this like a business. So now she has this, this building and it's not sitting empty when films are not being shown it's constantly in use yeah so that that is absolutely amazing how how mm -hmm. you've just taken that idea where no one would help you and mm -hmm. now they, and now you're at this point and my understanding is you're actually looking to open Stewart Cinema Cafe number two so that's can you talk right. about that a little bit that's right so I have sort of been thinking about whether we want it to franchise or whether I just want to outright own all of the locations. The issue with the franchising um, is that there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of issues. And also I want, I don't want somebody who just has money to open a store cinema and cafe. I want someone who understands the mission. And I feel like if I franchise it, we may not get that. Mm -hmm. The filmmakers may not get what I want them to get all the time. So I'm scouting, we're looking, uh, we're thinking Atlanta, LA, um, maybe the Bronx to put another one uh, in New York. So I'm kind of looking around. Another mission for me is that I want to open a business school for artists in the space during the day. So that uh, in the mornings in the theater, we would be teaching classes, business classes for mm -hmm. filmmakers, for music people, because music people have another whole set of issues. Um, and that's why we built a stage in the theater so that we can have performances, because that's another big, big problem where artists are paying to perform. Right. So now you're not being paid. You have to pay a promoter to perform, and then the promoter is keeping the money, and the bar is keeping the money that's made at the bar, and you have to pay to share your talent. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a, there's a big problem with that. And so at Stewart Cinema, they can rent the space and sell tickets, keep all the money, and do their own thing. I'm not controlling anyone's money. Mm. Once you pay us our rental fee, we're done. You know, if you charge 15, 20, 100, whatever it is you want to charge, that's on you. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely I want to I want to open a second space, but I do want to open a business school for artists. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of where the vision is going. OK, so the, the business school. Um, now, I, I guess it's a little too early in the process, but. I guess you would have just different instructors coming in yeah. on a daily basis, teaching 
the business of film? Yes. And I would want it to be an accredited program. So that's the part that I'm working on now is trying to figure that whole thing out. Okay. Um, Because I think that it will open doors for filmmakers to be able to get jobs doing what they love Mm -hmm. with the business knowledge, because it's going to be something that not everybody has. And that so I think so there's true. going to be a demand for it. Yeah. 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 That 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 is so true. I don't want to use filmmakers or a dime a dozen because that's not true. But a filmmaker with a mind for business. See that that's that's a that's a different that's a game changer, and especially. Yeah for for us as people mm-hmm. of color because mm-hmm. they're not checking for that they're not that's right so and and i know you being dominican and being a woman when you walk into a room and when you sit down because there's always an assumption when always. people of color walk into a room i don't i'm sorry it is what it is there is always an assumption. And if you don't believe me, let's go back in the, in, in the interview <laughs> when the gentleman said, you need John. Assumption. Yes. Assumption yes. that yes. she wasn't capable enough to do this on her own, having a tremendous business acumen and a tremendous business track record, but she still needed John. So, always. I always have to start from the bottom. Right. Always. So I'm exhausted. <laughs> it, oh, it, it, it's very exhausting. It's it's very exhausting. It so what you're what you're embarking on with that business school school is so needed because knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And once you gain oh, it, yeah. they can't take it from you. So they may right. have the assumption when you sit down, but the assumption goes away when you <laughs> open your mouth and you know what the hell you're talking about. So now they That's have to look right. at you different. That's they have to look right. at you differently. <laughs> oh, so I guess Emily doesn't need John. Never did. Mm-hmm. That's what you thought. But mm-hmm. you know what? John needs me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That's right. And I since just just I since have had an offer from that same investor. Wow. For Stuart Cinema number two. Well, isn't that interesting? No, John? No John, baby, no wow. John. But now I don't need him. <laughs> see, 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 you see how that works. You see how that yep. works. I'm gonna get a little yep. religious right here, folks. Yeah. He will make mm-hmm. your enemies your footstool. Woo! Say that. He will he will. He will make your enemies your footstool. And it is so true because and, and ladies and gentlemen, this is why you must educate yourself. You must educate yourself. Because when you educate yourself, I I, I look, okay. I haven't shot a film in eight years. I haven't written a script in seven. But every single day I'm studying filmmaking. I'm studying screenwriting. I'm studying every single aspect of this business because it is important that you know. I'm, I'm, I, I do yeah. film festivals yeah. and, and other things, but it's still important that you know every single aspect of the business. I'm starting to study Bitcoin and NFTs because they're talking about that in this space now. Yes. Yeah. I'm way ahead of you. 
Yeah. So we got to talk online for we, sure. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? I, I'm, 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 I'm just learning about it. I've heard about it, but I'm really mm -hmm. just learning about it because they're really talking about that. And I was on Clubhouse a few days ago and a phenomenal uh, lady that owns this. Uh, I got to hook you guys up. Her name is Cheryl Bedford. And she is the founder mm -hmm. of Women of Color Unite. It's an organization for uh, black filmmakers, female filmmakers, and everything in, in, the, in the film space dealing with women. And because, you know, the, of the marginalization yeah. of women. Um, and she's up to 4,200 members. And she's here. She's also has a chapter in Canada and the UK. But we were in a room last week and we were listening to them. And I sent her a message through the back channel. And I said, see, we got to get on this. I said, because oftentimes as people of color, we're always yeah. the last ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're waiting for somebody to give it to us. Right. Somebody to let us in the room. Right. But that's why we have to own the room. Got to own the room. The only way. Got to own the room. Yeah. Even if it's a small room and then you build a castle. But you got you to gotta own something because otherwise... You're always waiting for somebody to hire you, to give you work, to give you money, to give you an opportunity to put you on, you know, and some people, it, it'll happen for them, but there'll be the most people it won't. So you have to make it happen for yourself in whatever way that is. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, it's not, I'm, I'm not even thinking, I know because they're talking about it, that. This mm -hmm. is the new frontier for film as far as investing is concerned, as far as making money is concerned, cryptocurrency, yeah. NFTs. So if we're not getting out in front of this, we definitely have to talk because I need to learn as much about this as I can. But if we're not getting in front of this, we are going yeah. to be left out. And yeah. then we're going to be playing catch up with whatever crumbs are left, because, you know, once they get a hold of it. They ain't trying to yeah. share it. The big the big money is usually at the beginning mm -hmm. of any business. Right. Usually the big money comes at the beginning, right? When the founders are putting it together, mm -hmm. when the, when the stacks are being divvied up, that's, that's when it's, that's when it's lucrative and there's abundance. The longer you wait, sometimes the less money there is because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people already in the mix, you know, and, and you're right. We're usually late to the party. Yeah, we are. Literally. Yes, we yes we are. So that's why I'm getting on that NFT thing. Yeah. And I'm saying, non-fungible yeah. tokens. What in the world is that? See, non-fungible tokens, ladies and gentlemen. I'm learning slowly, <laughs> but I'm learning because when I hear Gary Vaynerchuk just talking mm -hmm. about it all the time, and this guy is major, and yeah. I'm saying, see, now somebody, something's going on with this. Because the information's out there. Yeah. It is. And again, yeah. it's, it's, it's accessible if you go and look yeah. for it, if you do the research, if you yeah. hear about it. Look, even if you don't get into it, at least have a working knowledge so that, because yeah. here's the thing. Let's say you have a working knowledge of that and you're out at a party. You could be in a room having a conversation mm -hmm. and the person that you don't know is a mega millionaire just starts talking about crypto and NFTs. And then you guys start having a conversation and they're like, yeah. wow, 
What did you mm-hmm. say you did again? Oh, I make films. What's the film you're looking to get done? Such and such and such and such. How about you give me a call? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened yeah. to you and it's happened to other people because they see that you're about something. Yep. So they're willing to take a chance because they say, okay, this this looks like a good investment. I have to figure some things out, but the way it's looking, it looks like a good investment. So let's see where it goes. But y- you got to arm yourself. You have to arm yourself. So, Emily, yeah, what is next? Risky. It, it, it very. 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 So I get it. <laughs> so what's next? So... I hate to say it, but I, I, I am uh, producing a film. I recently got roped in. I, I kept saying I'm not going to do any more films. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do any more films. I'm going to focus on all this other stuff. But, you know, I'm a sucker for a good story. It is what it is. <laughs> and a smart filmmaker. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not going to say too much about that because we're, we're working on it. But, yeah, so uh, feature film coming soon. And uh, I just want to open that business school. I'm obsessed with it. So it's only a matter of time before I get all that together. Um, and then, you know, Stuart Cinema, two, three, four, five, maybe six. I know that's right. I know that's right. So please keep me posted on, on the business school um, because I take it. Well, again, Absolutely. it's too soon, but I guess you'll be doing um, remote classes because there are some people that I yeah. would love to introduce you to. You may, you may even know them yeah. that are just unbelievable. And they would just be, oh my gosh, just, you know, one day instructors yeah. to come in and to, mm-hmm. to just teach these, these kids yeah. the right way to do things. And, and they are just phenomenal in their own right. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely keep me posted. I'm, I'm very, I'm very Absolutely. excited about that. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So, yeah. When when are the dates for your upcoming film festival? It's October third through the sixth. We just um, finished selecting the film, and uh, so we'll be making announcements soon. And the great thing about the festival is that it's completely free oh, for wow. people to attend. It's open to the community, so people in the community can come watch movies for free. Filmmakers could bring the cast and crew for free. The events are free. The entire thing is free. I feed people. Because the point of the festival is, one, to create an environment where filmmakers could network. But, two, it's to grow their audience, right? And in order to facilitate that, we're going to be running all kinds of ads to our existing customers. So all the customers that are moviegoers that are coming to watch movies, we want those people to watch these independent films. And to follow these filmmakers and to tell other people about it so that the, the audience for the filmmakers can multiply. One way to facilitate that is not to charge an arm and a leg for people to come. I also have an issue where a filmmaker has an actor in their film and maybe they got transportation, maybe they got some lunch, but really no pay. And then that, that actor has to pay to watch themselves in the movie that they worked for free. Mm-hmm. So the entire system, it, it's a problem because the filmmaker sometimes doesn't have the money. They barely have enough money to get themselves to the festival, mm-hmm. let alone to bring the cast and crew. 
So sometimes those people who work on those films never get to experience it in a theater Mm. because some of those films don't get theatrical distribution, right? So they don't get to feel that experience. And to make them pay for that, I think, is an issue. So we, um, the last two years, yeah, maybe the last two or three years, the festival has been free and open to the public. And this way we get, you know, neighborhood people coming in to watch a film they wouldn't otherwise see. We also are able to attract studios and different people to come in and business people. And, you know, sometimes it's not worth it to make the $10, right? Because in the end, it costs me more. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's a difficult concept for people to understand because people are like, oh, but it's free, but how do you make money? And people... But we have sponsors, and before that money was going to a venue. Now I can donate the venue and use that money to feed the filmmakers, to, to do the important things that really matter. And, a, and another thing on top of doing it the way you're doing it is you are building so much relationship coinage with people. Yeah. So that... Any time down the road, if you were to Mm -hmm. say to someone who's been to your festivals or whatever, studios, whatever, and they're all coming in for free, I need this. They're going to be like, you got it when you you need it. And see, sometimes (laughs) it's an investment. It is. It's an investment. You understand Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So because sometimes people look at it when I'm trying to get mine. Okay, here's the thing. You get yours in the short term, but in the long term, it ends up costing you. Whereas sometimes if you just give up a little in the short term, you gain so much in the long term. You That's know, right. Sometimes don't don't be so concerned That's about long having your name in front of the credits. Just help somebody make the film because you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with that film. That's right. And the fact that you said, okay, I'm going to donate my editing services. I hope y'all listening to me. I'm going to donate my director of photography services. I'm going to donate my gaffing service, my lighting services, because Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal script and something may happen. with. And as a matter of fact, really quick, I was listening to Clubhouse the other day and uh, this show that's on television now, The Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. It's. I, I, I don't I, think I've seen it. It's 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 very it's it's brand new and it's on. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember what's. I think it's on Bounce TV, but it's called The okay. Brotherhood. They shot. Oh the, yeah, they're the ones that had like two million people watching the show. Yes, the I highest, didn't even know the network had that many people. Yeah, they said that was the highest rated show. I new saw show that. I read that article. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing. They shot that pilot, and I and I was listening on Clubhouse the other day. They shot that mm-hmm. pilot four and a half years ago. Nobody got paid. Nobody got paid because they were like, "This is so much more than us than about us getting a little bit of money." So everybody was like, yeah. "Pour that money into the production." Nobody got paid. Now here they are on a network television Everybody's station. Everybody's getting paid. Everybody getting their money. Yeah. Because they yeah. saw that okay. If I just say, forego that, and let's mm-hmm. just put it into the production, something's mm-hmm. going to come from that. So, yeah. so with you doing that with the cinema, that is ground that you're telling for something later down yeah. the road. 
So huh? if you need something from someone, they were like, yo, look, Emily, good people. Mm -hmm. we'll hook her up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so I'm excited. That's absolutely true. So in yeah. closing, what would you tell young women looking to get into this space? Um, and I focus not no shade at the guys because yeah, what's you know, that as, about? As men, as men, <laughs> as men of color, as men of color, we have it rough. But you know, being yeah. a father of two daughters, um, and mm -hmm. and you know, just knowing how this industry works, women have it a hell of a lot worse. So, what would you tell young ladies looking to get into this space? How would you have them? approach it what would you tell them what would be your piece of advice for them just do it don't wait don't wait for permission don't wait for the money don't wait for approval just do it if you want to do it and you have a vision and you have a dream just do it every day do a little bit whatever you can do now that was phenomenal and I will say that for the guys, what what all all that she just said that applies to you as well. <laughs> I, I was focusing on the ladies because she's a phenomenal lady, but that applies to the guys as well because mm -hmm. you're needed. Your voice is needed, and you, you you said something in your other interview, and it's something that I say all the time: bet on yourself. You yeah. gotta bet on yourself. You gotta bet on yourself because guess what? No one's gonna bet on you if you're not betting on you. We invest in all kinds. The shirt you're wearing, right? Is is you're investing in someone else's, uh, you know, vision mm -hmm. of what you should be wearing, and you're wearing it, right? Right. We, we invest in houses. We invest in all kinds of stuff that can easily disappear. Mm -hmm. Invest in yourself because some of the stuff that we're investing in, we can't even control. No. The house you live in, unless it's paid in full, it's not yours. So uh, invest in yourself. Put yourself and your needs first. Absolutely. Before you go out investing in all this, especially women, we, we are caretakers. So we want to take care of the whole world. You know, and, I, and I'm saying this for myself because sometimes I have to remind myself to take care of myself. Um, because we just, we want to help everybody else. That's what we were, you know, sort of taught to do, um, conditioned. But sometimes you have to just live your own dreams. People look at COVID. I'll tip out all these people. You know how many dreams are in the cemetery right now? A how lot. many people with vision are gone? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, when I turn 20, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll do this. Next year, I'm going to make a film. This, just do it. Yes. You start with what you have, do the best you can, and keep building. Yeah. Les Brown says the, 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 the most dreams you'll find are in the graveyard. That's right. He said the so most true. dreams you will so find true. are in a graveyard because people are so afraid to do it that they take it to their grave, which is so sad mm -hmm. because you have so much to share. So share. Yeah. Well, people are afraid of failure. Yeah. Failure is scary. Failure, failure is a is thing. Really, failure. Yeah. But people are scared. They are. You know, you know, and yeah, you have to do it even though you're afraid. Do it scared. <laughs> I do. I do it all scared. Mm-hmm. Because mm -hmm. if you ain't scared, then, then it ain't big enough. If you ain't scared, That's then that dream right. ain't big enough. That's right. If you contemplate, That's yeah, right. I could do that, then what you what you, what you <laughs> shooting for ain't, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, if you all lack the days ago, yeah, I could do that. Then it ain't, it ain't big enough. Yeah. 
It's not big yeah. enough. Emmeline, this was amazing, even with all of the crazy oh, it was good to talk to you. I, I even forgot the cameras were on. I feel like we were just sitting and chatting. Well, that's how we, you know, that's how I like it to be. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we are yeah. having a conversation. And, and mm -hmm. that's how that's how I like it. But yeah, it was so good seeing you as well because I haven't seen you in a while. I am going to do my utmost to get to your film festival this year. Yes. It's for Let, the day. Give me a heads up. Yeah, give me a heads up when you're coming. I'm not at the theater often because okay. I, you know, running around doing all kinds of stuff. But definitely let me know. I sure will. So, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, for the last hour and 15 minutes, you've had a masterclass on how to do business, on how to do things the right way. So, I truly hope that you take everything that you've heard and internalize it and incorporate it immediately into your day, into your life, most importantly, into your business. And if you like what you heard, please share it with your friends on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And we've just been picked up on a couple of other platforms, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. yeah. Just found that out yesterday. I'm like, what? Really? So we, we're on a couple of... Um, Wonderful live notes and mm -hmm. I, I can't even it's so new i can't even remember the name of it but again if you like what you heard please subscribe please listen please share but more importantly play this back if you are looking to be a business person in the film space a filmpreneur as i like to say then this is something that you need to listen to more than once because i know i will because i have learned quite a bit today so emeline Thank you so much. And to everyone who yeah. joined us, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to spend it with us. And on that note, everyone have a phenomenal week and have an awesome night. Good night, everyone. Peace. Good night. Thank you.